Welcome to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. In our last podcast, I encouraged you that Stephen was a layman, just like many of you, with no special education, credentials, or training, just a passion, desire, and excitement for the Lord Jesus, and a desire to see Him change lives. I encourage you that if you want to be used, God will use you. Your time will come if it hasn't come already. I also tried to whet your spiritual appetite with this tasty tidbit that today we will see in Stephen's life, or rather his death, help pave the way for an epochal event, an event that would literally shape history, our history, your history, and the history that we're living in today. Let's start reading today in chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Oh my, there is power in those words. When I read those words, I literally tremble and my knees get weak because of the power of God that is in these words. I tremble at the power of God that can give a man the courage to stare death in the face this way. And I am appalled at the wickedness in men's hearts that would cause respected religious leaders to do these things. You remember in our last podcast that Stephen was accused by his fellow Greek-speaking Jews of speaking against the customs of Judaism and speaking for the power of Jesus to change lives. Well, chapter 7 is Stephen's defense. And full of the Spirit of God, with a face that the Bible says looked like that of an angel, he stood up before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council of his day, and began to speak God's truth. You've got to remember that those men were the respected Jewish leaders of their day. The people looked up to them as social and religious pillars of their nation. This was the same group of men who condemned Jesus to death. This was the same group of leaders who rebuked Peter and John for healing the crippled man at the gate called Beautiful. This was the same group of religious men who had brutally whipped the apostles to scare them into silence. Annas and Caiaphas were there. Gamaliel, Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea were there too. And as they listened on and on to Stephen's impassioned defense, They grew more and more tense until all hell literally broke loose. The decision to brutally murder Stephen that day in A.D. 38 would not have been unanimous. 
but it was more than enough to condemn him. You can imagine Annas and Caiaphas and men like them rushing forward to throw the first stones, first taking off their expensive outer robes, as the Bible says, so that no wretched blood from this out-of-line fanatic would stain their precious garments. You can imagine Gamaliel and men like him standing still, holding a stone to make appearances look good, but unable to throw it, because they knew deep down inside that what Stephen said was true. You can also imagine Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and men like them weeping and crying out for mercy that this man's innocent blood would not be on their hands. And through it all, the Bible says that a young man named Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. So what was it about Stephen's words that gray and solemn day in Jerusalem that so infuriated the leaders of his day? Well, he did something that day that other men like John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, John Huss, Martin Luther, John Wesley, and others in our day have done. He demonstrated an appreciation and love for godly roots and pointed the way forward to something new that the Holy Spirit wants to do in the days to come. Look at this. Stephen was a good Jew. He knew his Old Testament history down pat. He knew where he had come from. But even more importantly, he knew where God wanted to move his people. This was not the misbehaving Sunday school student who refuses to learn his lessons. This was rather the student who was greater than his teachers. And his teachers couldn't handle that. Stephen was pointing the way to a new move of God. But we've got to realize something. Just because something is new and innovative does not mean that it's from God. Hear me on this, people. The way we know if something new is from God is by asking this question. Is it written? Stephen's point is this. Leaders of Israel, I'm not saying anything really new at all about this Jesus. Just read your Bible. Is it written that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem? Is it written that he will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? Is it written that the Lord will not let his Holy One see decay? And we could go on. But Stephen is saying, if it's not written, if it's not biblical, if, it's, if what I'm saying doesn't stand up when measured by the Word of God, then you're right. I am speaking out of line. But if the Word of God supports me in my claims about Jesus, then the whole world, and you first as God's appointed men, have an obligation to listen, believe, and follow. It's a tough thing when innovation rubs against tradition. But when this happens, we, as God's appointed men and women today, have an obligation to measure that innovation, whether it be in belief, lifestyle, worship style, or whatever, against God's Word and test the spirit that is in that thing to see if it is from God. But the measuring stick needs always to be, is it written? The power of God was in full force that solemn day in Jerusalem. And as the sky was gray and the ground turned red, heaven opened up and Stephen saw a sight that every one of us, every one of you, longs to see. The glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of his Father. Notice that for all eternity, Jesus is seated next to his Father, praying for us, waiting to judge the hearts of men and women. But here, Jesus 
for an eye blink of eternity, no more than a grain of sand on a seashore. Our Lord and Savior stood to receive the precious soul of his first of many friends and brothers who had shed their blood for him. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that in John 15, 13. You can imagine Jesus whispering these words softly to Stephen, even as the hate-crazed mob approached. There is no more fertile ground for revival than the ground stained with a believer's blood. Just look at Golgotha. You can imagine Stephen's face beaming at those words from his master as the frothing and rabid faces of his enemies approached. And as rock after rock, stone after stone, pummeled his once strong body, you can imagine Stephen thinking, Lord, why aren't you here to stop the stones like you did with the woman caught in adultery? And then Jesus' strong words, because Stephen, now I am doing a new thing. And you have the privilege of being the first piece in the grand puzzle. Come, my friend whom I love, my grace is sufficient for you. And with that encouragement from his Lord, Stephen could say the same type of words at his own Calvary that the Master spoke at his. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said these things, the Bible says, he fell asleep. I believe that God gives special grace, support, and strength to people during their martyrdom. As men and women are being killed simply because they love Jesus more than anything or anyone else, I believe that the Holy Spirit gives these people a kind of spiritual dose of morphine to carry them across the last great river onto the Crystal Sea. I have no verse in the Bible I can point to that will support my theory, but in reading accounts like this and looking to examples throughout church history of the way martyrs have died, it seems to me that this could very well be the case. Martyrs seem to die very unnatural deaths. They seem to die very supernatural deaths, as if their souls have already separated prematurely from their bodies to revel in the ecstasies of heaven, even as their bodies are experiencing the agonies of hell on earth. I don't know for sure, but what I do know is this. The way that Stephen died literally changed history. It changed the world that you and I live in today. How so? Well, have you ever wondered how this account got preserved in the Bible? You know, it wasn't like the Sanhedrin invited Dr. Luke to their meeting that day, asking him to record the events for his Christian book he'd be writing in a few decades. Luke wasn't there at all. But a young man named Saul was. And after Saul got saved on the Damascus Road and became Paul, and after this same Paul ended up bringing Jesus to the center of the first century world so that he could be preached to the ends of the earth, Paul told Luke about Stephen. Oh, Luke and Paul would have had lots of time to talk that day. I mean, what else is there to do in a dingy Roman prison? And Paul would have told Luke that it was the way Stephen lived and the way Stephen died that began to make him rethink everything that he had ever been taught to think and believe. 
Stephen's death was a memory forever etched in Paul's mind, seared into Paul's mind like a red-hot branding iron on the young flesh of a calf, never to leave him and always to haunt him. This man had something not only to live for, but also something to die for. In fact, in Acts 22, as Paul recalls his conversion, he points to Stephen's death as the crucial turning point in his life. And the relevant thing for us today, my friends, is that I guarantee you that Stephen did not wake up that gray and soon-to-be-red morning in Jerusalem and say to himself, boy, am I ever going to help change history today? What he probably did say was something like this, something that many of you said when you woke up today. Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Please forgive me and give me the strength to live for you today. Lord, use me however you want to today. And the Lord heard that prayer. He took over and did the rest. You, you don't know, you may never know, how your life may be used to impact another for God or even change history. But for every Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke, there was a faithful Sunday school teacher who poured Jesus into those men. For Kevin Wagner, there was an elderly German woman who became a dear friend and who couldn't even write her own name, who helped teach me the love of Jesus. And for every Saul, there is a Stephen. You don't know how your life is going to impact others for God, but it will, in little or big ways, if you keep pressing on and being obedient and faithful to Jesus in the big and little things of life. You see, friends, for every world changer, there is a person who showed them that there is a world that needs to be changed. You may be a Stephen, or you may become a Paul, but each of you plays a crucial part in God's plan for his world. Before you despair that your life is insignificant and fruitless in the grand scheme of things, think again, beloved of your father, because history is sure to prove you wrong. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.